Well, it's good to have you here this this morning. If you're up on Facebook, you took a look at one of the things that we'll be looking at. One of the questions that had come to me over the last couple of weeks was, with all this stuff with the woke agenda that is going around, how much are we as Christians expected to speak to it? In particular, this month they call it Pride Month. That's just that very name tells you how horrible the whole thing is. But and we see all the different things. They've you know, captured uh, the holy rainbow that God had made as part of a covenant, and they try to make that into something that is different. Uh, don't stop using the rainbow. Use it for whatever it is that God intended, and you just don't feel like that at all. And anybody, if you have anything on that's a rainbow, and people want to come up and say, oh, you're the... No, I am not. This is my God's covenant to us. And just let them know what it's actually there for. They, uh, they wouldn't say anything about that. But how much are we supposed to speak to and then we made mention of this before, I think uh, last Sunday, that uh, one of the other things we'll get into is there's a parable, there's, there's some things that Jesus speaks to that will help us, that if we can make one change in our life, we will see a tremendous amount of growth. And it's not something like walk in love, that if we walk in love, that all these good things will happen, because that's a hard thing to do. And we're always working on getting more and more in love, walking the, the love walk. But there's something that, that's in the Word of God that's a very simple change that you can make. So we're going to begin to take a look at that. This all comes out of Matthew. Now, last week we were looking at the, uh, the passage that Jesus taught on about worry. You know, do not worry. And that was over in Luke's, Luke's Gospel. But if you come over to Matthew and if you look at this same passage where Jesus is teaching about do not worry, that comes exactly before the chapter we're getting into today. So he actually launches in from that, do not worry, and he goes right into what we're looking at here today. It's just we're in Matthew's gospel instead of Luke's gospel here this morning. We were looking at the rich, fuel, the rich fool and some of the things that he was doing, but we don't have a whole lot of time to, to uh, review that, so go on back there and check that out last week. There is a lot to cover here, and I want to make sure that we get it all in. In Matthew chapter 7, in verse 1, it says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now this, of course, is used very often. People love to quote this, especially non-Christians. Non-Christians love to quote it. They have no idea what it's saying, but they're going to quote it because they take whatever meaning they want at the time, which still a lot of Christians do the same thing as well. Let me read this to you from a couple of the translations. In the, new, in the New Living Translation, it renders chapter 7 and verse 1 this way. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. The standard, instead of measure, you may understand that just a little better. The standard, how it is, that wherever you set the bar in judging, that's where it's going to be set for you. The Amplified reads it this way. Verses 1 and 2. Do not judge and criticize and condemn others so that you may not be judged and criticized and condemned yourselves. For just as you judge and criticize and condemn others, you will be judged and criticized and condemned in accordance with the measure you use deal out to others. It will be dealt out again to you. Weish translation translates verse 1 this way. Stop pronouncing censorious criticism in order that you may not be the object of censorious criticism. Now let's take a look at these verses here so we understand them. 
Passing judgment can come in many forms. You can write these in there. I actually had them in your outline, how to cut them, cut them out because uh, there wasn't enough room to fit it all in there. So gave you a little bit of space if you want to write it in. I, I have three different ways that I see that passing judgment comes. First one is criticism, and Amplified put that right in there. It is so easy to slip into this because I can do this all by myself. I can be critical of other people without anyone else being around. I don't need anybody else to participate. I just do it in myself. Well, why are they doing that? Well, how come they said it this way? Well, why are they wearing that thing? We can just begin to criticize uh, just, just inside ourselves. I don't need anybody else to come along and help me out with that. I can do it by myself. Then there's gossip. Now, gossip is basically criticism with other people. I'm just sharing it with other folks. I'm critical. I'm criticizing but I'm just telling other people. So I involve other people when we get into gossip. So there's criticism. You can do that by yourself. There's gossip. You can do this with other people. And then there's condemnation. Now, when you get into the realm of condemnation with judgment, that's basically when you are having a direct approach to the person that you are critical of. But you are passing on the criticism that you have in a condemning way. Those are three ways that you can pass judgment that we can do that. Criticism, gossip, and condemnation. Now, there is a difference between destructive criticism and, you ready for this, honest assessment. Sometimes, when you're trying to give an honest assessment of something, people think, well, you're, sure, you're just being critical. Don't judge me. No, sometimes you just need to give an honest assessment. Uh, the first destructive criticism reduces value. I'm reducing the value of that thing in the eyes of other people, in the eyes of myself, or in the eyes of that person that I'm critical of. The second channels expectation. The second one, it channels expectation. Helps me understand. I'll, I'll give you more on that in just a minute. The first, again, it intends to reduce the esteem others have for the person being criticized. That's the intent. The reason I become critical, the reason that I gossip, is I want to reduce how people look at that person. I don't think they should be looking at them this way. This is often done to increase how they we are viewed by others in comparison to them. And the second, or the uh, honest assessment, the second intends to increase that esteem by keeping expectation in the realm of their potential or specialty. Now, you will hear me do this very often. Whenever I put a, a video teaching up, how many times do I come out here on, on Sunday at the end and I tell you some things about it? The reason for it is I want to give you an honest assessment so that I get your expectation in the right realm. Because if I don't get your expectation in the right realm and you begin to hear things, you can begin to say, oh, I don't like this and tune the whole thing out. My role in doing that is I want to make sure that I get your expectation in the right way. So sometimes if we have something from Jesse. I may qualify and say, now Jesse's not a teacher. I often say he could be. But he's, he's not a teacher. He's there to exhort people. He's there to, to accomplish a certain thing. So hear what he has to say in light of where he's at, what he is supposed to be doing. Sometimes I'll tell you some things about some... Now, look, when they get off into this area, I don't quite agree with them in this, this spot. But I'm sharing it with you because there's a whole lot there that I agree with. So when you hear that particular part, I don't want you to say, oh, well, forget this. I don't agree with this. No, see, I'm trying your expectation. I want your expectation to be in the right spot with this thing so that when you go in there, you're, you're going after right thing, the, the, hearing the right things. 
I'll sometimes let you know, oh, when they get into this, when they teach this, when they use this example, because I want to get your expectation. Oh, I can't wait till they get there. And when they get there, see, you're ready for it. I haven't torn them down. I've gotten your expectation ready so that when you hear them, you're in the right, you're in the right place. And that's what we want to try and do with, with that. And don't feel that you can't do that. We all have flaws. We have things that we need to work on. Just turning a blind idol doesn't help us out. We have to know what, what are the flaws, what are the things we need to, to work on. There have been some people we put up there in the video teaching, and I don't know that I've said so much on a, on a Sunday, but I know individually I've uh, very often said, this, um, said these kind of things to you, that uh, certain individuals, I, I, I really respect the way that they speak because there's very little pauses, there's very little repetition in that uh, they forgot what they were saying or, or something of that nature. And they're not repeating words. And I know that takes work. That doesn't come naturally. If you're, how many of you ever had a conversation with somebody and uh, as you're talking with them, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know. And it's like, you know, like, because just like, and after a while, how many of you are ready to pull your hair out? So just stop saying that word. <laughs> but they don't do it. They keep on going on with that. And, you know, when I hear preachers that do that, it's just, oh, it grates at me. It grates at me. Now, I know I can fall into that, too. You could start repeating words. And so I've disciplined myself to make sure that every once in a while I come back and I listen to something that I say. And that's hard to listen to yourself. But I'll discipline. No, i got to listen to it. i got to say, am I... Am I repeating the word? Am I doing something? Am I picking up something that I need to quit? And if I do that, uh, I, I worked out. I'll tell you one thing that I did recently that I have done is I noticed, especially on Wednesdays, I was always starting with the same word. Oh, that irritated me when I f- heard that. Oh, why are you doing that? You will not do that again. <laughs> and so I actually worked things into it. I actually put things in the outline. This is what you're going to start with. <laughs> And I would, I would discipline, because every time I would hear that, I'd say, oh, you started with that word again. Why are you doing that? We have to sometimes have an honest assessment about ourselves and say, hey, we need to, need to fix this. Now, now, there are some flaws that speakers will have, and some of them are just kind of nice. Uh, Brother Hagen, when he would talk, he would always say, belly. Always say that, always that belly. And it was just, just a slight mispronunciation of it. And every time that he would do it, and we'd be in there in the winter Bible seminar, and he'd say, belly. And we'd all just start laughing. <laughs> he'd just keep on going on. But it's just, it was just a cute thing. And we didn't want him to stop. We didn't want, no, no, fix it. No, no, we didn't want that at all. It's kind of like, uh, you know, when the grandkids were young, every single one of our grandkids, they had certain words that they would mispronounce or misdo. You know, Lissy, one of her uh, ones that she would do was... Uh, she didn't like the gark. And she always pronounced it that way. And uh, we, we didn't want her to stop. And when she started to hear that it was different and she fixed it, I remember my daughter said, she's not doing that anymore. <laughs> you know, we, we hear these things. All right, they're, they're not quite perfect, but it's, it's them. It kind of tells us this is, this is them. And so there are some imperfections that just, well, it's just who they are. And we kind of, they kind of endear us to them. It's kind of like if you have a pair of shoes a brand new pair of shoes isn't always the best. A brand new purse is not always the best. A brand new briefcase is not always the best. Sometimes you want one that has a little bit of broken to it. 
it's got it's not quite brand new and there's it's got some imperfections it's got some uh you worked it in a little bit yeah especially if you have a hat you know you got a brand new hat there's nothing good about a brand new hat you got to wear that hat in a little bit you got to give that hat some character in order for it to really be be something oh there's that hat. oh i love that hat i wear that hat. these are the things that that, that uh can break it in and just make it something special for us so don't feel like all the imperfections have to go but there are some that need just to be changed and we need to listen to them and so there needs to be an honest assessment so that's uh something we can sometimes do to help ourselves out now the intent not the method is the real difference between the two here the intent when i get into a place of destructive criticism my intent is to tear something down. That's what I that's what I'm looking to do. The method can change, but my intent is what sets it apart. You may sound like you're doing things in a nice way, but your intent is wrong. See, God knows the intent. This is the problem with it. Intent is something in the heart and I can't see it. The method that I choose is very visible. It's very, it's very demonstrative. I see a person doing that method. I can see how it is that they're, that they're coming about. So methods are observable. Intent is not always observable. Sometimes people will tell you, well, this is my intent. So when it says, judge not, lest ye be judged. Now keep this in mind. We're not done with this verse just yet. Because Jesus is just opening this chapter up with these, these words. And these words will carry us through for some more. Let's go on and read in verse 3. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, the plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now I looked up both of these words, plank and speck, and uh, that's about the best thing that you can translate them for is, is right where they're at. Um, I know not too many people are actually walking around with planks in their eye, but the idea... Here is that you have something bigger in your eye than the person does over there. Now, let me, let me give you the way most people hear these sets of verses. You have so much wrong with yourself, you have no business going out there and helping anybody else out. Or pointing anything out to any, anyone else. Just take care of your own stuff. And any time that you start messing with somebody else, trying to help them out, in that, they'll bring this up to you. No, you take care of yourself first. Have you ever heard that kind of stuff? That's how we hear it. And that is so wrong. And you don't have to go anywhere but in the English translation. I don't have to go into the Greek for this. It's right there in the English. If the intent that Jesus has is for you to stay out of other people's business, why does he tell you how to do it effectively? Isn't that what he does? He says, first off, if you don't get it out of your own eye first, you will not be able to effectively pull the speck out of your neighbor's eye. But if you remove the plank from your eye first, then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck. Now, where is Jesus telling us, don't pull the speck out of the friend's eye? Where is he telling you that? He's not. What he's telling you is how to do it effectively. But the enemy is always trying to cloud us in our understanding of the things the Bible teaches. 
because he doesn't want us to do what the Bible says. He wants us to do what religion tells us. He wants us to do what guilt and condemnation tell us. This is what he wants us to, to get into. Don't do that. He is telling you how you can help your brother out. And he's telling you how to do it effectively. That's what we need to look at when we read these things. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own? Now, the enemy loves to distract you. And here's Jesus is pointing out one of the distractions is seeing the fault that you have in other people. I have that fault. Can you imagine it this way? We, we talked about, you know, people say, you know, you know, you know. Have you ever been corrected when you have let go a you know by someone who uses it all the time? Have you ever been corrected like that? Someone that you know that every other sentence, you know, you know, and then you say it and they say, well, you know, you shouldn't say you know all the time. How many of you are thinking, what? How many of you just want to come out and say, you do it all the time? In fact, I'm probably catching it from you. Because when I have the same problem that I'm pointing at with someone else, how do you not think that that person cannot see the same problem in you? And what he's telling you here is this. You see it as a speck, but I'm telling you, you've got a log in yours. Now, if you bend over and try and take out a speck in someone's eye and you've got a log in yours, what are they going to say? <laughs> no, no, I'm not receiving that. You can't even see right now. How many of you like people getting near your eyes? I do not. You know, sometimes my wife will come up to me and say, you got something in your eye. <laughs> Get back. I will take care of it. <laughs> you know, I can take my finger and I can put it right into my eye and it's no big deal. But don't you try and do it. Uh-uh. No, I, I'll take care of it myself. And what happens is the enemy shows us a problem that we have in someone else so that I step over and I try and take care of that problem for them and point it out. Whereas they say, wait a minute, you've got the same problem. They may not say it out loud. You've got the same problem. And you're correcting me. And now we have a division between people. That's a, that's a thing the devil loves to do. Don't let that happen. What Jesus is telling you here is, I'm not telling you not to take the speck out. I'm telling you how to do it more effectively. This is what you need to do. It will help that brother if you take that out. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now we have a much easier time seeing a speck in someone else's eye from a distance than I sometimes have from seeing a plank in my own. Isn't that amazing? I can have the same problem in a greater degree, but I can see it in someone else. Now, self-critique is difficult, but it's something that we must do. There was a particular person that every, every time we would go to a certain meeting, we would see this individual operating in this function on stage. Every year, 
every single year I would see this person operating in this capacity, they were just as bad as the year before. I mean, it was so horrible that jokes came up about how bad this situation was. It was really bad. But there was never any improvement. And I couldn't figure this out. Why don't you listen to yourself and hear what you're doing? Never did. Still to this day, I think it's been going on probably 20 years. No improvement. How do you not improve in 20 years? Because you're not making any effort. Self-critique is difficult, but it's something that we have to do. See, part of the reason is, some of us, we have a hard enough time seeing our value as it is, let alone trying to see our value when I also see my imperfections. That's just too much for us to handle. So, I'm having a hard enough time seeing myself as having any value at all. I've got to turn a blind eye to my imperfections just so I can hang on to some value. See, that's so wrong. Look at what Jesus has taught us a couple weeks ago when we were looking at the treasure and the pearl. Look at how Jesus values you. He sets your value. Your value is not set by your imperfections. Your value is already there. Now, go out there and take those imperfections, change the ones that you can. You have value even though you have flaws. Now, if you see something that is a hindrance in other people's lives, here's the, here's the rule. If you see something that is a hindrance in other people's lives, first, look for it in your own. If you can make this one change, you will help your spiritual growth and your personal relationships tremendously. Whenever you see something that someone else is doing, immediately look to yourself. Am I doing the same thing? Do I have that same problem? Am I addressing people in the same way? That person's kind of curt with folks. Am I? That person hasn't been real grateful, real thankful. Am I? Am I showing the amount of gratefulness and thankfulness that I should be demonstrating? Whatever you see someone else have a trait that you say, oh, that's not good. Immediately look to yourself. Make that change. It's a small change. Once you make the change, it will help you out. As soon as I see that, I immediately begin to say, is that going on in me? Check it out. Maybe even ask some people, do I do that? Some people might say, well, yeah, you do. If they do, find it, fix it. And then once you do, then you can help the person there. You see, if I find that same problem in me, I go to the Word, or I make the effort, or I do something, and I fix the problem. I now have a personal testimony of how to overcome it that I can now share with the person I'm going to try and help. But when they look at me, they don't see a plank in my eye anymore. They may even say, you know what? I noticed that you were doing that, or that you had that going on, but you fixed it. What did you do? But if you try and go to them to fix the problem, and you've got the same problem in your life, They're not going to receive it from you. In fact, they'll probably put up a barricade. Probably hinder you from from being heard by them. Well, Jesus, like we said, Jesus does not say 
you cannot remove the speck from another person. He merely points out what you have to do first is to be effective at it. Now, we started out with this verse, in verse 1. What were the verses? What was the verse 1 say? Judge not, lest ye be judged. We're still in the exact same teaching, aren't we? And then he says here at the end, take care of the log in your own eye, and then you can take care of the speck in your brother's eye. Isn't that right? How am I supposed to make a determination that my brother has a speck in his eye without making a judgment? Is it possible? And I will answer that for you. It is not. The only way I can come up and say that my brother has a speck in their eye is to make a judgment that that doesn't belong there. That is something that should not be there. That is a judgment. If Jesus is teaching you don't pass any judgment at all, why does he then teach you how to judge? So, instead, look for yourself. Judge yourself. You also know, how did I speak to myself to get me to hear this? <laughs> and that'll help you with speaking to the, to the other people too. After you do that, reach out and help. You see, the person will now see me in a restoring manner instead of a condemning manner. It will see me as restoring instead of being a hypocrite. No, they're, they're here to try and help me. They're here, they're, they've already told me I had the same problem. I was doing the same. In fact, it was worse than what you're doing. But this is what I, I did. This is what I was able to do. This is what the Lord showed me to do to get ris- rid of this. But see, that's a lot more work than most Christians want to go through. I would much rather see the imperfection in you and point it out and feel like I did my job. No, your job was see the imperfection in them, look at it yourself, fix it, and then go over there and help them. That's the process that Jesus tells us to do. Instead of being a hindrance in the body of Christ, you will now be a help in the body of Christ. Now, here is a great verse. And this verse comes in light of all these things. Verse 6. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. In order for us to, if we just take this verse at, at face value, I have to make it a determine that some people are dogs. Some people are pigs. Except that's not what he's saying. He's not out there trying to tell you to pinpoint whether this person in your life is a dog or a pig. That's not the thing that he's trying to teach you from this. What he's telling you is, if you have pearls, pearls are of great value. Pearls are beautiful. Pearls are costly. How much value does a pig see in a pearl? Does not differentiate from the pearl from anything else. From a rock, a stick, they're all the same thing. This is what he is teaching you here. Not that there are pigs and there are dogs. He is not teaching you that there are some people that are just pigs and they do not deserve the truth. That is not what he's telling you. 
What he's telling you is simply this. Don't take what you see as valuable and give it to someone who doesn't. That's his simple truth. Don't take what you see as valuable and give it to someone who doesn't. I know this because this is how Jesus lived. What happened with Jesus when he was teaching valuable principles to the crowd? And some of the crowd trampled them like pigs. What did he do? He taught in parables so that they would not go to them, so that they would not understand them, and they would not take what is beautiful and trample it underfoot. Because you remember, Jesus would teach them truths, and after he taught them truth, what did they come and do? They would turn on Jesus to devour him because of what he taught them. Can you see that? This is what he's teaching you. And see, this, this is the verse that I tell you speaks to the thing, how much evil should we speak to? One direct question was put to me. I see all the pride flags around. Should I be going up and saying something to the people about this? But it's not just there. You're out there on the street and you see people doing things that you know they shouldn't be doing. You have friends. You know they shouldn't be, be speaking, doing certain things. You have relatives. You see the evil that is going on there. You see some of the people that are involved in some lifestyles. How much should I be speaking to this too? So this is the verse that helps us with this. How much evil that we see around us am I supposed to speak to? How much sin that I see should I address? Well, if people have refused the light in their life, how are they going to see it any better if I put it upon them? If they have refused it and not taking it. Now, again, just in case I didn't give you the, the right blanks on there, and um, it means, the blanks that you have, it means don't give something of great value to those who cannot distinguish it from what has no value or little value. Don't give something of great value to those who cannot distinguish it from what has no value. Now, here's these next ones. I want you to get this because this is where a lot of Christians falter. And this is where we, where we miss it. Be led to speak, not compelled. Be led to speak, not compelled. Don't feel compelled to speak against sin. Be led by the Spirit to do so. You have a newborn spirit on the inside of you. That newborn spirit will see sin, will see people involved in sin, and it will be grieved. Because that's what your newborn spirit, it doesn't like to see sin. It doesn't like to see people in sin. And that newborn spirit, apart from God, will feel the need to speak to it. And you will feel compelled. Now, let me give you an example on this. How many times did Jesus cleanse the temple? Two times. 
once at the beginning of his ministry and once at the end. Jesus' ministry was for three and a half years. The cleansing always took over at the area of Passover because Passover is when all this stuff came in. That's when it was set up. How many times in Jesus' ministry did he see this? Three. Maybe four. But at least three. How many times did Jesus see this in his life? Over 30. Over 30 times Jesus walked in during the Passover time and saw this same fiasco. How many times did he address it? Twice. Why? He may have been compelled but twice he was led. There was a difference between being compelled as a Christian to speak to something and being led by God. How many times did Paul speak against evil in his day? I'm going to give you some exact examples. When Paul walked into the city of Athens, he walked in by himself. You remember it said he walked around and he saw all these idols. How many, how many of you would be in a place where that would grieve you? Saw all these idols. He came to the marketplace and he addressed the crowd. He did not address a single idol. What did he address? Let me speak to you about the God that you worship, but you don't know. Let me speak to you about the unknown God that you have a statue for. Let me speak to you about him. When he walked into Ephesus, Ephesus had some of the most atrocious practices of idolatry. He didn't walk in speaking to the terrible practices of idolatry. He didn't speak against the temple of Diana. What did he do? came in with the power of God and he came in preaching the gospel. When he went into Corinth, he even says in his letter there, I didn't come to you with persuasive words. I came to you in the power of God. And they also had a lot of idols and a lot of worship going on that shouldn't be there. He didn't come in addressing that. He came in preaching the gospel. The enemy loves to get us to a place where we are compelled to say things. Because when we are compelled to speak, we do not speak by the unction of the Holy Spirit. We speak by the unction of our flesh or our reborn spirit. And it will be divisive. And it will cause a break between us and them. And basically, we're going to be trying to take the log or the speck out of their eyes, and they're going to see a log in ours. You don't need to do that. Preach the light. Live the light. And then as you get some clout, influence, with the people that you work with, with the people that you live near, with the relatives that you have, as they see the light, they'll begin to be receptive to what it is you have to say. 
in our video teaching that comes out this this uh, Monday. Pastor Willie George will be talking to you about some things to help you understand how to build influence in people because that's where we need to go. When I come in and I, I can get inspired by the devil to speak against the sin in other people's lives because the devil knows if you'll do that, they will never hear a word that you'll say. Don't let that happen. Don't be compelled to speak. Be led. God is not disappointed in me for not speaking against sin. Oh, I'll tell you what, I wish we could get a hold of that. He is not disappointed in me for not speaking against sin. But he can be when I join in the sin or don't speak what he gives me to say. If God gives you something to say, you say it. And sometimes that's speaking something against the sin that you see. How many prophets were sent to speak against sin? God will send you to speak against sin. But make sure that it is God that is sending you. Don't go on your own. I put this in your outline for you. Knowing there is something to say is not the same as having something to say. Knowing there is something to say is not the same as having something to say. I can know they need to hear this, but I have not been told by God to say it. How many times do you think Jesus was in a place and he knew something to say, but had not been authorized to say anything yet? And he stayed quiet. Because Jesus does not speak against everything he sees. Now, it doesn't mean that we judge some people as not worthy of our time and our words. I need to know, God, you know where they are. You give me the words that helps them where they are, not where I think they should be. If I do that, instead of words they find condemning, they will find the words that I speak as sowing. Make sure that you're in a place of sowing. It says there that the pigs turn and devour the ones who gave it. Because the devil knows this. If I can get you, if I can inspire you, if your flesh can inspire you, if something outside of God can inspire you, to speak to these these folks out here, they will turn on you and they will come after you. And that will discourage you. Plus, the added benefit, these people will never receive from you. The devil loves it. But don't let that happen. Don't be compelled to speak. Be led. So important that we be led. Now, as we said, and now in order to determine that a truth would be a pearl before swine, you have to judge. The problem is not in coming to a judgment. It is passing on condemnation with it. When you do not speak by the unction of the Holy Spirit, your words you speak will be as judgment and condemnation and not as help. 
Godly judgment determines what actions the judge takes, not attitudes to pass on. Don't pass on attitudes. Understand that God will lead you to speak some things that will make you unpopular, even disliked by the world. The goodness of the goodness that God in His Word has inspired and grown in you will also do the same thing. Make sure you take your inspiration from the Spirit. The difference between the two is that God has a plan when He inspires you. But we step outside of that plan when we speak of our own unction. When Daniel stood up against evil, God had a plan. When Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, most people know them as, when they stood up to the fiery furnace, God had a plan. God had a plan when Elijah stood up against sin, against idolatry on the mountain. God had a plan when Elisha stood up. God had a plan when Jeremiah spoke out against the sin. God had a plan when Ezekiel spoke out against the sin and so many other prophets. God had a plan when Jesus spoke out against sin. When Peter, when John, when Paul, when they all stood up against sin, God had a plan. But when we speak outside of the unction of God, that's not something that's inside the plan of God. And when it goes awry, well, God, I was just standing up for your word. Well, God, I was just doing what I feel like your word was telling me to do. And the mess that I'm in, I just blame it on, well, I did what you said. No. You didn't follow after the spirit. You followed after what was on the inside of your spirit or you followed after your flesh. Don't do that. Follow after the spirit. You may see all kinds of things that are going on that should not be going on. Just go back to God and say, God, is this something I am to address? If God says, yes, all right, what should I say? How should I say it? Now, you all have people in your lives that you know that you can speak in this area right over here, right? We can talk, we can have conversations in this area. But if you get over in this area, ooh, <laughs> not so good. Not so good. So we stay out of that area. Because I know that if I get into that area, it's basically to be pearls to swine. It's not that they're pigs. It's just this is not the area that, that we can do this. And we can, we can speak on these things. So we don't want to, we don't want to do it. You know, we can, we can polarize a lot of people on topics. It's been in the, in the topic of, of late to, uh, you know, how much should churches speak to some of the evil some of the things that are going on, how much should churches speak to some of the things going on in the political realm and things like that. And I know anytime that, that I, I would speak against any of those things, I will distance some people and draw others. That's just what's going to happen. So I always have to make sure, all right, God, am I supposed to address this one? I've, I've got tons of ones I could address with you. But I try and address the ones that God tells me to do. And that's what we have to have to do. You could get out there and you could do, one preacher will get up and say, I love Trump. And all these people come over here and other people say, get away from me. I don't, and they're distanced now, not on, not on a biblical issue, but on a non-biblical one. And now they don't hear the biblical stuff. My role, folks, is first off, first and foremost, to teach you the Bible. Now, there are many times 
that we will teach you the Bible and show you how the Bible applies the things that are going on. I try not to fall in love with any politician because I know they're all flaws. You've, I've been pretty open and pretty candid about it. There are some things that Trump did that I loved. There are some things he did I despised with everything inside of me. There are some things that Bush did I liked. There are some things he did I despised. Believe it or not, there's even some things that Obama did that I liked. Yeah. That's a little policy there. Let's not capture terrorists. Let's kill them. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I had no problem. When he instituted that, go, go for it. I'm, I'm all right with that. We're, we're on the same page on that one. But you see, you have to be careful. Because you get to a place that, you know, well, this politician can do no wrong. No. No, that's, that's not the way that it is. Got to listen to the guy, to God on the thing. And I know I have opinions on this, but it's not my role to show you my opinions. It's my role to show this is what the Word of God has to say. And to teach you on that. And I try and stay within that realm. I'm not saying that I've been perfect on it. That's the realm I try and stay in to, uh, to do that. But anyway, he kind of goes on here in, in verse 7. And again, this, these verses are understood in a way that is different from how they are written. Verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. For what man is there among you, if his son asks for bread, and gives, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Let me read this to you in the New Living Translation. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you have, what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Your parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do not give them a stone instead. Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to you, to those who ask Him? Do to others what you have them do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Now, the verbiage here in the Greek is in line with how the New Living Translation puts this. This is how a lot of people hear this. You tell me if you haven't heard this in the exact same way. This is often understood. This is in your outline if you want to fill it in. This is often understood from this passage is the thought of continually asking for the same thing. Well, I keep asking God that He would heal me. I keep asking God for a new job. I keep asking God that He would send me whatever. I keep asking because the Bible says, keep on asking. So I keep asking. I'm going to tell you this. The Bible does not teach that. 
what he is telling you is not keep asking for the same thing because doesn't Jesus say that when you ask in prayer, believe that you have received and you shall have it? Isn't that what he teaches in prayer? So if he teaches that in prayer, why is he now teaching you to keep on asking for the same thing? He is not. What he is doing is saying, in the area of prayer, keep asking. Ask for this. And then ask for this. And then ask for this. And then ask for this. And just keep on asking. Keep on asking. You're not wearing God out. It's not like the people who come up and say, well, God, I'm not, if you can do this one thing for me, I'll never make another request again. Right? No, he is telling you this. Keep on asking. If you come up to a door, knock on it. You go up to another door, knock on that one. You go up to another door, knock on that one. Keep on knocking. If you seek after an answer on this and you find it, don't stop. Seek after another answer. All right, well, God, now that you gave me that answer, how about an answer on this one? And we get that one? Well, all right, God, I got, thank you for that one. Can I get an answer on this one? Keep seeking. Don't stop. You're not wearing God out. This is what he's telling you. Keep asking. Keep knocking. And keep seeking. Don't quit it. Do not judge that God is done with your requests. Do not judge that. Understand, God wants you to keep on asking. Keep it going. He uses the example of the father and the child. Where in that example do you see the teaching that the child has to say, please give me a piece of bread. Pa, please give me a piece of bread. Oh, oh, Pa, I'm so hungry. Please give me a piece. Where is that in the story? The implication is that as the son asks for bread, what's the father do? He gives it. Then why would he have to keep on asking for the same thing? You see how easy it is to get off from what the Bible teaches? You don't need a Greek degree to figure any of that out. It's right there. Keep on asking. Not for the same thing. Ask for more. You have a very resourceful God who's got a lot of things at his disposal. He's looking for people to give them to. Keep on asking. Well, when you seek an answer, you seek wisdom. Do you expect to find it? Or do you expect that you'll have to probably ask a few more times? How do you approach prayer? Do you approach prayer? Ask, knock, seek. And I don't know how many times i got to come and do this, but I'll come as many times as I need because I need this. That's the wrong way to approach prayer. The devil loves it because he knows he's got you wavering. And what happens to people who waver? They will receive how much? They will not receive anything from the Lord, according to James. God is better than we are, is what Jesus teaches, and will perform at a higher level, not a lower one. Don't see your God as performing at a lower level than you are, yourself are capable of. He is at a higher level, 
And if you would answer your son on the first request, what do you think your God is going to do? Now, why do you think he flows into this after the previous verses? I asked myself that question. Why did you flow into these, this teaching, after all that? I think it's because so many Christians are so frustrated in prayer. They have very little expectation when they go. They're just kind of wishing and hoping. They're just hoping that God will give them some time. Maybe eventually he'll get over to their request. Jesus is saying it's not true. God values you like a father does his son. He values your needs. He he values your desires. And then he gets back down to the golden rule. That's what we call it, right? Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. Galatians 6, 9, let me read this for you. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Do not do good to others for the purpose of receiving good back from them. That's not what he's teaching. He's teaching whatever good you want to receive, do it to other people. Who are you going to receive it from? If you have been lost in this and your view is I will receive it from other people, then you will get wore out. Because other people will let you down. You receive it from the Father. You'll often send people to you, but you receive it from the Father. He's the one who repays. He's saying, look, do this for me. Whatever you want to receive, do it for other people. I'll make sure. I'll make sure it's taken care of. Then we get on here to verse 13. Believe it or not, I'm actually moving pretty fast through here and probably have left a lot of things behind. Verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. How many people have a King James version? Anybody? I believe the King James, not the new King James, I believe the King James version reads it because narrow is the gate and narrow is the way which leads to life. But it's two different words. Narrow is the gate. That word narrow comes from the Greek word stenos. It means a way that narrows or is made narrow by an obstruction. A way that is that narrows. Like if you're coming in to a, a canal and it kind of narrows, you know as the boat operator where it narrows, you got to get yourself in. It narrows or it narrows by an obstruction. The word there, difficult, is the Greek word, comes from the Greek word, thlebo or thlebosin. It means to squash, press, or squeeze. Now, I had to go past a whole lot of places to get this definition. I have this out of a book that you probably will not ever have in your library. So, I wrote it, made sure it was written in yours. This is, uh, one, this is kind of like my holy grail in my office. These books, love these books. They're out of print, but I go to it often. And sometimes he just puts things so simply. 
on this, but I had Thayer's and I had Vines and I had um, all the, the other ones are out there and none of them gave you the idea of this word like this one does. To squash, press, or to squeeze. I'm going to read to you a couple of verses that use this word because I want you to get a handle of this. It's used in more verses than I'm telling you. But in Mark chapter 3 and verse 9, and he spoke to his disciples that a small ship should be, should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. And that word there, throng, is the Greek word that we have for difficult. The crowd would come in and they would push upon him. They would push him right out into the water. And so he said, look, let's do this. Get me in a boat. Put the boat out a little ways. Give me a little space between me and the crowd. And that's what they use this word here for. Second Corinthians 4, 8. We are troubled on every side. That word there, troubled, is our word. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. First Thessalonians 3, 4. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation. Tribulation is the word that is translated difficult. Second Thessalonians 1, 6. Seeing it is a righteous thing, with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. The word there is trouble. That trouble you. In Mark chapter 5, verse 24 and verse 31, Mark uses this word to describe the crowd that thronged, that's the word, thronged Jesus. Remember when they came up and they were pressing upon him? They came in and they were pressing into the into Jesus as he was walking and going over to Jairus' house and the woman with the issue of blood came up from behind him and touched the hem of his garment and he said, Who touched me? And the, he kept saying, Who touched me? And the disciples finally said, Master, there are so many people thronging you. How can you say who touched me? That's that word that is used. Throng, just in the press. Have you ever been in a crowded place? How many remember high school? Walking in the halls. Walking in the halls. I walked in the halls of Upper Moreland High School. We had 14, 1,500 students in the halls of, of Upper Moreland High School. Not as big as some. North Penn has a whole lot more. They have uh, 4,500, somewhere around that neck of the woods. They have a lot of kids in there. But I know just in our school in Upper Moreland, we would go over there. And you'd have 1,500 kids walking around. When everybody got out at the same time and we're all walking, there was not a whole lot of people. Well, there was a whole lot of people, not a whole lot of space to get in between. And I made a sport of it. I had my books in one hand and I knew where I had to go. And I was just like a football running back. there's a hole opening up right over here and I walk faster than anybody else anyway and I'd walk and I could see the hole begin to part I could see it begin to form and I would make my way for that spot in the hall just as it would form and I'd get right on through there and then I'd start looking for the next one and find the next one other people they just kind of they're just kind of walking around like this uh uh no I didn't want to do that I wanted to make a sport of it and we had I don't know five minutes between classes and I could usually get to my next class in under a minute and I would sit down and I would pull out my Bible and I would read for the remainder of four minutes 
That's four minutes for each class. That's seven or eight classes. That was a lot of minutes. That's why through high school I, I read the Bible so many times. Cover to cover I read it so many times. This is one of the things I would do. Got abused for having my Bible and reading it and all that, but, but um, that's what we did. But you know how that feeling was when you, you had the crowd? Remember when the malls used to be crowded? And you're trying to walk through all that crowd. There was a time when uh, Bruce and Phyllis uh, were here, and, and I was taking my son, and we were going out to the Phillies parade. You made it out there too, didn't you? You didn't make it? Uh, I was smart enough to get there the right way. <laughs> and so we were trying to get there, and the masses are thronging to get there. And so the first thing we thought, you know, my, we took, I took my son out of school, he took his best friend, and three of us were going to make it on out to watch the parade. And so he went over to the train station, and it didn't take us too long to figure out, we are not getting on that train. <laughs> there wasn't even a place to park. There was people waiting, and the train would come in, and it was already filled, and they would just go on, and nobody would get on. All right, we're not getting that way. And I'm pretty sure all the highways are... are but I know a back way into the city. I'm going to take the back way in and see what happens. And we took the back way and drove into the city. Hardly anybody there. It was amazing. And as we're driving on down, I have no plan. I have no plan. I'm just driving. Christian wants to see. Got to get out there and just, just drive. So we're driving and all of a sudden I see a whole mess of these cars all veer off into this, this one little parking lot. So guess what I did? They have a plan. <laughs> I don't have a plan. I'm going to follow their plan. So I pulled in. It ended up being the, the waterworks places down over there. Lots of parking. So we parked right there, and I think we had maybe a mile to walk to get to the parade where it started at. And we were there before it all began. There are still people waiting at Lansdale train station waiting to get into the city, and we're already there. So we get on in there, and we call up Bruce and Phyllis. Hey, we're here. And we were on the same corner. Same corner. We're here. I would get up as high as I could, and they would get up as high as they could. They were up on the stone wall doing stuff. We couldn't see each other. Could not find each other. There was, we were on the same corner. Could not find each other because of the masses that thronged in there. And this is what this word means when it says, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. This word difficult means that everything comes in and presses in. And this is why some translations put narrowed inside here. Because the pressing, the squeezing that comes in is making the way that you can get through smaller. It narrows it because of the pressing, because of this thronging that is going on. And what he is telling you is this. The gate is narrow. And so is the way, because there are pressures, there are tribulations, there are people who want to make it difficult for you to get there. Difficult is the way. But he says, we read this again, but the, but the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. That was the new living. Gateway to life is very narrow. The road is difficult. And only a few 
ever find it. Only a few. The seeking part here is not mentioned. We're not really found that anybody is seeking this, but the thought could be that they are seeking an easier way with less trouble. How many of you know people in the world that are trying to find an easier way into the gate with less trouble? They're not going to find it. The ones that will find it are the ones that are willing to put up with the narrowing, the pressure. It takes patience to enter in through the narrow way. The wider gate got a lot more people going through there. Traffic moves faster when it's wider. How many of y'all know when you're going down the highway and it narrows, we block down a lane, everything slows down, got to have some patience to get on through with all that. Well, let's wrap this up. If you want to speak to evil in the world, first off, live in the light. Live in the light. Be an example. Live in the light. That's the first thing you've got to do. Live in the light. Don't put your light out. Remember before we were talking about let your light shine? Talked about some of the things with the, with the lamp. Be a light. Let the love of God develop on the inside of you. Speak words that are edifying. Don't go in there and judge everybody for their, for their stuff. Speak what God gives you to speak, but live the light. Let people see you're at peace. Speak to it. People are saying, oh, I'm so nervous about what's going on. Oh, I'm not. <laughs> How can you not be? Are you not seen? Oh, yeah, I see it. But my, my God tells me other things. See, live in the light. If they don't want to hear anymore, they'll just walk off. But they asked you. You live in the light, people are going to begin to ask questions. Demonstrate his benefits. Let them see the peace. Let them see how it changes the way that you live. How it changes the way that you think. How it changes the way that you address people. All this. Let them see its benefits. Inspire and invite questions. They are far more ready to receive what they ask for than what you want to give them. How many of y'all know this is true? When you go and sit down in a restaurant, what does the waiter or waitress ask? What would you like to order? Right? What would you like to order? And then what do you order? What you like. Right? Don't order stuff you don't like. You will not see me going into the restaurant and ordering cooked cabbage. I'm not going to do it. My wife will. I won't. Not a chance because I don't want it. What if I walked into a restaurant and I said, I'll take and I give them what I, what I want with some pasta, with a blush sauce and some crab meat and maybe some chicken added in. And I, I prefer penny. I do. I prefer penny. And they come on out here and they bring to me a plate. And on that plate is eggplant parmesan. Now, some people here may like eggplant parmesan. My wife wishes I liked eggplant parmesan. Because that is one plant that just flourishes in her garden. Flourishes. She loves eating it. I do not. I'm just not. I used to like it. A little, now I hardly like it at all. It's just, yeah, just not, not going there. If they plop that down in front of me, what am I going to say? 
I didn't order this. I don't want this. But you see, if they bring to me what I ordered, I'm going to dive right in. If you tell people answers to questions they ask, they're far more willing to receive it. If you give them what you think they ought to hear. Well, I think you need to eat the eggplant. Well, I'm not paying for it. And I'm leaving. I'm going to go someplace where they serve what I want to be served. Don't do that. Inspire and invite questions. They'll be far more ready to receive it. And be ready to give answers. The question comes down to this. This is not in your outline. But the question comes down to this. Do you just want to point out sin in your stand for God? Or do you want to stand for God and influence change? It's up to you. Do you just want to point out sin in your stand for God? Does that satisfy you? Or do you want to stand for God and influence change? Daniel influenced change in his world. Paul influenced change in his world. Jesus influenced change in his world. Peter and John, they influenced change in their world. That's where we need to go. Our way is already going to be made difficult. It's already narrow. Don't speak words that are going to make it even more narrow. They're going to make it even more difficult. But guess who would like you to speak those kind of words? Many Christians take their inspiration from the evil one, but they think they're speaking for God. Don't be compelled to speak. Be led. Speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Not that of your passions. Not that of the sins that you see. And certainly not that of your enemies. Some evil won't change if you speak the very words of God to it. Just look at the Bible record. How many prophets went out and spoke the very words of God to the evil that was there and there was no change at all? Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is not to stop or spotlight evil. It is to be a bearer of light. Your mission is not to stop and spotlight evil. It is to be a bearer of the light. Now, the enemy will try and distract you from this mission. Look for opportunity, not offense, and for leading, not legality. And you will be on your way to causing influence and not just pinpoint sin. Would you all stand up with me? Well, Father, we thank you that you have called us to be effective in this world. The enemy will try and lead us to go ways and go directions in which we speak words that are harmful and hurtful and drive wedges and division. And I know when we speak the word of God that you have given us, sometimes it will do the same thing and it will cause division. But it's a division that you said, this is what we need. They need to hear these things. I need you to speak them. But we are not just to go out there and to speak our own words. I thank you that you give us inspiration. You help us to see the need 
but you also give us the words to speak in these things. And I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, as I announced to you, Willie George is up. We haven't, it's been almost a year since I gave you one of Willie George's uh, uh, ministries. And if you weren't here when we, we did that before, uh, Pastor Willie George. How many have never heard of Pastor Willie George? He is not a pastor anymore, but he uh, did start the largest church in Tulsa. At the time he was pastoring, it was the largest church in Tulsa. Uh, tremendous amount of influence he did. Most people knew him as, of course, a kid's minister. Uh, when I first went to Raymond, I went to Raymond in 1981. When I first went there, he had just taken over the pastorate of a church called Walnut Grove. This is a church that was founded by a man by the name of David Ingalls. How many have ever heard of David Ingalls? Probably only heard him if you heard me talk about him. <laughs> but I love David Ingalls' music. Brother Hagen loved David Ingalls' music. But his church was there, and the reason that I attended was real simple. I had no car. I had no car. His church was one mile down the road, and I could make one mile down the road. I was still dressed up in a suit, still had boots on. I could walk a mile down to the road, get to the church, and walk on, walk on back. So I went there. Heard Willie George. I first knew him as a pastor, not as a children's minister. And went there for an entire year. And then I got a car. And at the same time, uh, Brother George left the church and he went off to do some other areas of ministry. Uh, but he, he left that church. So uh, they moved back to the building where David Ingalls is, is at. And so it was much further away. I wouldn't have been able to walk there anyway. But then I was uh, driving myself to a to a different church at that point. But he's a wonderful teacher. I enjoy him. We don't, we're not exactly lined up on all areas of issues. And most of the people I give you, folks, I'm not telling you that we are lined up 100%. And you've heard me enough. You know when people line up with what I'm doing. And if, just because they don't line up with me doesn't mean that I'm right and they're wrong. I still have areas to grow in. And that's why I'm always looking to, to listen to that. But he's a wonderful teacher. In this, he's going to get into some of the things with Joseph in the life of Joseph, and how Joseph went in and didn't just pinpoint sin. He grew in influence. And he eventually changed the entire nation. But he changed the household, he changed the prison, and he changed the nation. And he did it through influence. And he's going to teach you some things that will help you in how you can grow in the influence of these things. So I hope you'll be able to take some time and to listen to it. This is a very recent one that he did. It's had to be within the last week or two. Because he actually makes reference to the failed Bud Light commercial. <laughs> so that'll, that'll date it right there for you. But it's on our YouTube page. I downloaded it, loaded it up on there. So it's, it's there now. You don't have to wait for the link. If you go to our YouTube page, you will be able to see it. I know a few people have already done that um, so far. But I hope you will in, enjoy that. It's, um, he's, a, he's a wonderful teacher. I do really enjoy his, his uh, way of, of teaching, the things that he does. So that's up there. And uh, you'll get the normal links will get posted uh, tomorrow as well. Wednesday night, we are in Zechariah chapter 7. The quote that we put in the uh, outline actually has more to do with Wednesday than it does with Sunday mornings. And if you've been coming out on Wednesdays, that's, uh, that's something that you'll be aware of. But Wednesdays in Zechariah, we've been able to answer some of the questions, where is God when all the evil is in the world? And if you ever had that question, Zechariah is certainly helping us to, to answer some of those things. But that'll be going on on Wednesday. We'll have have that next week. We have uh, my wife has the class on the book as well, so uh, don't re- don't forget that one. 
Have a great rest of the day and bless some of the people that are around. Happy Father's Day to all you folks listening and that are here. And I hope you have some fun things to do for today.